Nyata, hello. My name is Alison, and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. And I acknowledge the people of the Eastern Ma Nation who've been sharing story and keeping culture since time immemorial. And I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. And tonight we're reflecting on Jesus' baptism, expulsion into the desert, and the beginning of his ministry. You find it in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. It's a reading for Lent, 1 year B. Once upon a time, long, long ago, I had a great uncle who was ever so slightly mad. He used to parade up and down a major traffic bridge wearing a sandwich board, and on it large letters proclaimed, Repent! Well, I don't know about you, but this sort of thing makes me twitchy. It's like the time I was sitting on a tram quietly minding my own business, when a bloke I knew to be an intermittently violent psychiatric patient loomed over me and aggressively demanded, Have you been saved? To which I replied, Yes, of course, and immediately scrambled past him and shot off the tram. If you're like me, the moment you hear words like repentance or sin, you tend to shut down. For many of us, words like these are so connected with institutional condemnation and fear and shame or, quite frankly, crazy people who intrude on our personal space that we can barely use them. They can feel suffocating, words not of life but of death. And yet, we are entering into Lent, a season with a particular focus on repentance. It's a time when followers of Jesus reflect deeply upon their lives and their priorities and the direction in which they're heading. It's a time of serious questioning as we wonder whether our words and actions proclaim death or life as a dominant force. And it's a time of repenting and of confronting our peculiar temptations. So can we understand repentance and the Lenten journey in ways which aren't life-diminishing but life-enhancing? To help us, let's turn to tonight's story. Jesus enters into John's baptism, a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. But the word repentance shouldn't scare us. It's become church language, jargon, and it's been used as a weapon against people, but it shouldn't be. It simply means to turn around or change one's mind. What John was offering was a washing of changed minds, a turning around for forgiving people their sin. In doing this, John was announcing that despite all evidence to the contrary, Sin or the disruption of shalom or the way of death, whatever you call it, it does not have the last word. It is not the dominant force in life. It is forgiven and we can move on. This changes people's thinking. It helps people get unstuck. All around us, we can see the forces of sin and death. And we can see how they bubble up in our own lives. It's hard to believe that the way of life could be dominant. But when we change our minds about the domination of sin, and when we accept forgiveness and integrate it into our lives, 
We are no longer immobilized by fear or by shame. Instead, we are free to get on with the work of turning the world right side up. This then is the baptism, the washing, which Jesus entered into. A preparation to turn the world right side up. A preparation to do the work of Messiah, that is the Anointed One, the Christ. But baptism is only the first step. Because as Jesus comes up from the water, he sees the heavens tear open and the breath, God's breath, the breath that gives life, descends like a dove into him. And a voice thunders from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. It's a peak moment with resounding echoes of Isaiah's Messiah who will usher in God's kingdom and work for justice and bring shalom. And yet immediately, Jesus is driven into the wilderness and tempted by the accuser. Because we are united with Christ, this story is our story. And it tells us some important things. It tells us that at baptism we too are claimed as God's precious children. It tells us that just as John the baptizer promised, we too are filled with God's life-giving breath. And it tells us that we too are commissioned to participate in the work of the Messiah or Christ, which in Mark's account is to heal the sick, cast out the demonic and bring about God's culture here and now. But this story also tells us that baptism is just the starting point and that at peak moments we can be thrown into the wilderness. For it is precisely when Jesus is affirmed as God's beloved with all the overtones of Messiah that he is thrown into temptation, accusation, doubt. Jesus didn't choose to go into the wilderness. He was thrown there, and I wonder why. Was he afraid of abusing his power? Was he afraid of being a fraud? Was he afraid of being mocked and persecuted, even killed? Was he longing to appear like everyone else, totally normal, not one to rock the boat? Or was he driven by an unhealthy desire to be seen as special and right and good? Was he attracted by the possibilities of wealth and power, even violence? Or was he simply reluctant to hand over his whole life, every last bit of it, to God. From Mark's account, we don't know what Jesus' peculiar temptations were, but he was tempted, and he was with the wild beasts. But he didn't endure alone. Angels, that is God's messengers, ministered to him. And it was only after this long period of sitting with himself and the temptations peculiar to him. And only after this long period of being ministered to, 
that he was ready to proclaim the good news, to call others to change their hearts and minds, to invite others to faith. And this is all true of us too. So Lent is not about berating ourselves or hating ourselves or obsessing over sin. Nor is it about simply giving up coffee and chocolate. Instead, Lent is an opportunity to repent. That is to turn our lives around, to get unstuck, to shift our focus. It's an invitation to identify the ways we believe and live as if sin and death are dominant. And it's an invitation to change our thinking, to accept forgiveness, and to live as if the God of life has the last word. It's a chance also to sit with ourselves and our peculiar temptations, to accept God's ministrations, and when it's time, to get involved in God's great project of turning the world right side up. In doing so, we risk mockery, we risk persecution. But with Jesus at our side, we are promised that we will enter into fullness of life. So I may not have a sandwich board, and I have no intention of positioning myself on a busy traffic bridge. But this Lent, I find myself standing with my crazy great-uncle, and I call on you to repent. That is, change your mind about sin. It's not the dominant force in your life. Turn from the ways of death, turn towards God, and place your faith in the good news. In the name of Christ, in whose footsteps we follow. Amen. That's it for today, but there's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.wordpress.com. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website.